Well, good morning. God bless you. Glad you're able to join in and, and uh, let's jump into the word together. We're in Mark's gospel and today we're going to go ahead and start chapter two. We're in chapter one for like a hundred years or something. And so we're going to move into chapter two this morning and um, uh, another monumental move by Jesus here to demonstrate who he is. This is one of those humongous passages where Jesus makes known something about his nature and character that uh, on the one hand staggers his antagonists, those who are against him. Uh, it bolsters belief and trust and faith in those who are starting to uh, connect with him and believe in him. And so this is a really important passage that takes place. And it also begins to bring more into laser beam focus the mission that Jesus came ultimately to accomplish. <clears throat> and it wasn't just about the miracles and that, but as we see in this particular event, uh, he illuminates really what is uh, the more central point of his entire ministry. And so with that said, let's go ahead and dive into chapter two of Mark's gospel. Starting in verse one, we're gonna read the first 12 verses and that'll give us our, our text today. Mark chapter two. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days and it was heard that he was in the house. Uh, that may very well be Peter's house again. Uh, immediately, there's that term that Mark uses so much, immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, nor even hear the door, or even near the door, I should say. And he preached the word to them. Uh, then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. And so when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus among themselves or within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed and went out in the presence of them all, so that they all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, of course, that is a an incredible thing to to see. Um, but let's you know paint the picture here. It's uh, Jesus is in Capernaum again, and uh, which is something of a second home to him. He's he's around this area here, and he'll minister here. He's uh, very likely again, possibly in Peter's home, uh, where he had healed Peter's mother-in-law, and uh, and and here he is, and he's teaching them the word. Uh, in other words, he is teaching them from the scripture. Uh, significant that Jesus, while he clearly in the course of the New Testament would teach things that while connected to the Old Testament were not specifically in the Old Testament in some respects. We read through the Sermon on the Mount and we have this wonderful manifesto of the kingdom uh, and everything, but it wasn't necessarily like he took Isaiah 61 and taught it per se in there, but he was speaking of his own teaching and such. Um, but here he was teaching the word. And so very likely what that means is he was teaching them through the scripture. Uh, very important, not only in, uh, in terms of what Jesus was doing then, but very important for us today to follow that example. But he's teaching them the word. And as he's teaching, all of a sudden there's this little rumblings from up above and little bits of grass and stuff and roof pitching and things like this are starting to just sort of 
weed through the ceilings and fall to the floor and everything. What had happened was, is that there were four guys who, whether this man was their friend or not, somehow they knew him, and they brought this man who was paralyzed and they brought him to Jesus, but they couldn't get in because the throngs of people were too great. They couldn't carry him in on what the stretcher, kind of a cot sort of thing that he was on. And so they figured out some way to get him in by literally breaking through the ceiling or the roof. Now, this was not a, a strange thing. When you think of a roof like I do, you think of like an A-frame structure or something. In the Middle East, it's not uncommon for that rooftop area to actually be serving as living space. Imagine sort of a deck, but on the roof kind of a thing. And so uh, so they couldn't get in, so they would have taken what likely were stairs up to the top of the roof there with him, which was no easy feat, carrying a paralytic on a cot uh, up a thing of stairs. And so they bring him up to the roof, and they begin to dig through what to them is the floor, what to Jesus and those in the room is the ceiling. And, uh, and they, make, they actually break open this area big enough to lower a man down uh, before Jesus, and that's what they do. Uh, I would have loved to have seen the reactions of the people, and especially of Jesus. I mean, uh, I, there's a part of me, and my old pastor used to say it this way, and maybe that's where I'm kind of getting that from, but I, uh, I just sort of imagine him looking at this whole event and just sort of standing there watching it unfold, patiently and with a smile on his face, thinking these guys really, really believe that I can heal this man and their faith pleased him. And so, and it's interesting, it says their faith uh, later in the passage, doesn't even really talk about his or anything, but, um, but they lower him down and there he is in front of Jesus. And the people are watching and no doubt they're all anticipating, okay, we know why they did this, they want Jesus to heal him. And so the fervor is high, they want, they're about to see a miracle. And the first miracle Jesus does is actually the most, uh, the most important one. And it's the one they couldn't actually physically see. But that begins to be the point. Before we get there, though, let me point out a couple of other things. Uh, there is something that'll preach about their persistence. They, they didn't just sort of pray about it and, 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 and sort of just hope maybe the people would move to let them in or something like that. Um, no, they acted, and they acted in their, the best they knew how. They, they really believed Jesus could heal him, but they really felt the need to make sure they got him, their friend or this, this, this man, to him. And so they were persistent, so persistent that they actually wrecked a guy's roof to, you know, Peter's roof, essentially, uh, if it's his house, to get him in there. So um, there's a lot to be said for that, you know, when, when we find ourselves... Uh, face-to-face with something that is insurmountable, something that we know uh, this is well beyond us. We, we need the Lord to intervene in this kind of a thing. Uh, I live in the South now. I'm from Illinois. We didn't use expressions like this, but I think it's kind of a Southernism to pray through, you know, the idea of just praying until you know God is answered. Well, that's essentially what these guys are doing. They're like, they're not stopping until they get to the Lord. And there's a lot to be said for that. We could learn a lot from them in that. Well, they do. They bring him to Jesus, and there he is on this cot, this stretcher, this pallet, essentially, in front of Jesus. And uh, and he knows what they're all expecting. But rather than do the thing they're expecting first, he does the thing they were not by any means expecting. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. I would imagine at that moment, uh, for uh, maybe a second or two, you could have heard a pin drop. That was such an audacious thing to say. Uh, and and in, in this particular point, Jesus 
and the scribes, the teachers of the law, would have agreed, who can forgive sins but God alone? They saw Jesus as speaking blasphemy because it was not his place to forgive sins in their minds. But, of course, Jesus has the prerogative to forgive sins. As a matter of fact, he had come ultimately that sins would be forgiven through his death on the cross and his resurrection. And so they don't know all this yet, but that becomes key to this passage. Jesus is helping them in no uncertain terms to understand that what Jesus is doing in the miracles and what he is saying in the teaching and the authority by which he does both is a clear demonstration of who he is personally, and that is God. Even as John would say in John 1.1, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, and the word was God. And eventually in verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, And so Jesus is helping them to little by little begin to piece together exactly who he is and what's behind what he's saying and doing. And so, um, so they, they, they're marveling at this, and, and, but on some sense, there's probably some people that are a little disappointed because they want to see the guy get up. <clears throat> but Jesus starts with not just the greater miracle, but the far more difficult miracle. Um, it's nothing for Jesus to heal somebody, right? I mean, he's the creator of the universe. He's spoken into existence. All things are and were by his prerogative in that. And so he easily could just heal this guy. But the far greater thing is the forgiving of sins. And so they think he's speaking blasphemy, and he knows what's in their hearts. He understands what they're thinking. He knows it well. And he asks them, what's easier to say to the paralytic? Rise, take up your bed and walk, or, or your sins are forgiven. Now, that question from a human standpoint is, the easier thing is to say your sins are forgiven because there's no evidence needed for that. How do, you, how do you look at somebody and see that their sins are no longer counted to them? That's, you, there's no physical manifestation of that. However, to say, rise, take up your bed and walk, that requires him to rise, take up his bed and walk to validate that it actually took place. And so Jesus says, what's, harder, or what's easier to say? Rise, take up your bed and walk. Well, for Jesus, that's the easier thing to say. The harder thing would be to go to the cross. And so he says, well, so that you'll understand the Son of Man, a messianic term taken from Daniel, used about 80 times in the course of the Gospels, speaking messianically, and they would understand it that way. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power to forgive sins or has authority to forgive sins. I say to you, to the paralytic, rise, take up your bed and walk. And so he does. Immediately, there's that wonderful word that Mark uses to just talk about the, the, that convey that sense of urgency or that continuous motion that seems to be the characteristic of his gospel recording. The man gets up immediately, rises, takes his bed and walks. Everyone marvels at this, probably the scribes as well. They're, they're marveling, they're marveling, they're confounded, they're trying to figure out what's going on in front of them. They're trying to understand and, and make a proper estimation of who Jesus is because they are not in belief of him. They're resisting him. And that resistance will continue throughout his ministry. But he's not giving them any room to, uh, to, to miss what he's trying to say or what he's doing. He's setting them up to understand it. And that will either set them free or it will ultimately judge them. And so this miracle is tremendous. It's a wonderful, beautiful miracle that gives us lots of great insights, both into our own nature and our own approach to Jesus, but also in, in his own making known who he is. So people will ultimately come to believe. And that becomes the point of the Gospels, is that there might be a response to who Jesus is. Not just what Jesus does, but what he does and what he says 
rooted in the idea of who he is. And that's where the good news comes in. Jesus ultimately came into the world, God in the flesh, who dwelt among us, ultimately to teach us, to do miracles, to demonstrate who he was, but ultimately in understanding who he is, his going to the cross becomes the most significant event in history, tied together with the resurrection. In that moment, Jesus, God in the flesh, took our sins, yours and mine, upon himself, and he paid for them once for all. He alone has the prerogative as God to forgive sins, and he actually created the way by which our sins could be forgiven justly and rightly. We don't think of our sins as being an offense to God, but they are. It's not just that we offend each other, but ultimately God who created right and wrong, who created the law, who made it known to the world through our consciences or through the scriptures themselves, what really right and wrong are. And so when we violate those things, it's not just that we're violating uh, someone's personal space or something like that, or we're offending somebody. We are, we're doing that for sure. We're, we're hurting somebody and are sinning against them. But ultimately at the heart of it, what we've done is we have offended God because we've broken his law. When we steal from somebody, we're hurting them by taking from them. But the only reason we know that's wrong in the first place is because God has said so. God has laid that out. We intrinsically know that because he has wired us to know that. And so that being said, when we violate these things, we've ultimately offended him. And so when we break the law in one area, we've offended the one who gave all of it. Well, how do you deal with that? Well, I'll be a good person. I'll try to make sure that I do enough good to outweigh my bad. Well, in the same way you don't get awards for driving the speed limit, you only get tickets for violating it because it's expected. You don't get brownie points for doing what's right. It's expected. You should be doing what's right. I should be doing what's right. But when we violate that, that's a problem. Now, how do we deal with that? Well, the penalty for sin ultimately is, is our own separation from God. Well, God loves us. And he doesn't owe it to us or anything like this. But out of his deep and abiding love for his creation, he's made a way for us to be made right with him. Even though we're the offenders, we're the violators, we're the lawbreakers, he ultimately stepped in and paid the penalty for us in his son. And so when we put our trust in Jesus, what that means is, is that we're putting our trust in the one who makes us right in God's eyes. The one who justifies us even though we are in sin. He wipes it all away, washes us clean. A uh, great uh, uh, Holocaust survivor who is a wonderful, uh, had been a beautiful, wonderful Christian woman, uh, uh, wrote many books. Her name was Corey Ten Boom. If you've ever seen The Hiding Place, this was her story. She had all these wonderful, pithy sorts of ways of communicating wonderful truths. And she would talk about how God took our sins, cast them into the deepest sea, and he put up a no fishing sign. In other words, we're justified, we're clean, we're forgiven. We no longer have to be ashamed in God's sight. That's the beautiful transaction of the gospel. That's the beautiful gift of the good news. And so I always like to, uh, I guess I don't always do this, but I like to typically give an opportunity for anybody who's watching these things to, uh, to, to, come, to, to come to Jesus. You know, as simple as that sounds, I like to give the opportunity. And there comes a point in our lives where we need to make that choice. Where we need to respond to the gospel. It's been presented to you, and I want to give you an opportunity to respond to it. Now, when I pray, there's nothing magical about the prayers that I pray. Uh, there's no special pastor card that says my prayers are more significant than somebody else's. There's nothing like that. It's just that it may be that you don't even know how to ask for God's grace. You don't know how to 
become right with him, how to step into that relationship. Uh, and I like to pray to give you that opportunity. And maybe it even helps set a course for how you might pray in the, in the days ahead as you walk with him. But let me start at the beginning. Let's pray that you might receive Jesus as your own Lord and Savior. He's going to change your life from the inside out. Things are going to get a little uncomfortable for you. Uh, but I'll tell you something. There's nothing like being right with God. It changes everything, not just in time, but in eternity. And so let me invite you. Pray with me if you would. Father, we just thank you so much for this time in your word, and we pray that you'd bless it as we continue through it. We thank you for the opportunity to look specifically at the person of Jesus himself. Help us to uh, learn of him, to put our trust in him even more day after day as we learn to walk with him more. But Father, for those who have uh, maybe never taken that first step, they've never come to that place we're now understanding and knowing who Jesus is and what he's ultimately done for them. They've never taken the next step and put their trust in him personally. I pray for them right now that this would be the moment where they ultimately hand themselves over to you and don't look back. And by faith, put their trust in you for their eternity. If that's you, I invite you to pray with me. Uh, just repeat after me this simple prayer. There's nothing complicated about putting your trust in Jesus. It just grates against our pride until we start to learn to lay it down before him, taking up our cross daily. So pray with me if you would, if you're ready today to become a believer, a follower of Jesus. Heavenly Father, I confess to you that I am a sinner. I've broken your law and now I understand that I've offended you when I've sinned against others, ultimately. And I'm sorry for all that I've done. I truly am. But I do believe, based on your word, that Jesus came into the world to die for my sins and to pay for them all when he went to the cross and he died there for me. And I also believe he rose again on the third day, again, according to your word. And that, Father, there's life beyond the grave and therefore now there's hope beyond the grave. And I put my trust in you the one who opened the way for me. Help me now as I begin to follow Jesus to do that day after day, laying down my pride, taking up my cross as it were, and walking in his footsteps. I know it'll be hard at times, but I also know that one day I'll get to see you face to face. So help me to press on as I press into you each day. Thank you for your grace and your mercy Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for me and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, whenever we give that opportunity to come to Jesus, we give that invitation. I also want to connect with that. Uh, really, a uh, request that you'd let me know. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, we'd like to send you one. Uh, if, if you have questions, which no doubt you will, what does this mean to, to walk with Jesus now? How do I do that? every day. Well, we'd like to help you with that too. And one of the things that we'll also do is try to connect you with a, a good, solid Bible teaching church locally, where you can go and you can hear the Word of God being taught. You can grow side by side with other believers in, in your faith. Uh, you can be part of a community where you can contribute both your, uh, your skills, your abilities, your talents as you serve along the body and help out, but also where you can receive love and acceptance and, and grace and help to, to continue to walk on a daily basis. If you're here in the Franklin area, of course, we invite you to come out and join us as well. But wherever you are, we want to make sure that you're part of a body of believers. And so that being said, uh, if you want to reach out to us, you can do that by contacting us through our website at calvarychapelfranklin.com. Uh, or my own personal blog, parsonspad.com. You can email us from there as well. 
and uh, and and we just want to help you begin to walk with the Lord. It's a lifetime journey. The the the, the conversion of a soul, as we say, uh, happens in a moment, but the, uh, the 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 journey of a lifetime walking with Jesus. That's really where we go from there. So we want to help you with that. So God bless you. I pray you have a wonderful day, and uh, we'll look forward to catching up with you next time as we continue in God's Word. God bless you.